name is Danielle and I'm five. I'm in kindergarten. She likes school? Yes. Every morning I do um, kindergarten. It's time to start school. We're going to be a doctor on Monday and Tuesdays. A teacher on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And a doctor on Fridays and Saturdays. And we have one day off on Sunday. We're at the hospital. I'm here because I have leukemia, and I have to do chemo. What's the hardest thing about being at the hospital? Well, you don't know what they're going to do, and it might hurt, and have to do finger pokes, and woken up in the middle of the night to get my bed drill. What do you think about not having hair? It's pretty cool. I have a purple wig, and I have a brown wig. When I go outside, I wear a bandana, otherwise I wear a hat. Mm -hmm. And you've been at the hospital. I've heard, I've heard you've gotten some blood. Have you gotten some blood and some platelets? Yeah. Platelets look like orange gravy. They look, they look like orange juice, kind of, because it's orange. And then blood, right, of course, like the huskers. Does it help you feel better? The more platelets we get, the sooner we get to go home. Do you think it's important for people to get blood? Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Duh. Good morning. Do you think it's okay to get, to ask people to give blood? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Morning. We welcome you here. We're glad you're here this morning, and uh, we're here to worship God and to share the love of Christ with one another. And we're happy that you're here with us today, and we welcome you. We welcome our guests especially. Uh, you're very important to us, and we hope you'll feel very much part of our family together. Uh, just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheet on each aisle I'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out uh, as completely as you can and check the appropriate box on there. Uh, we would certainly appreciate that. And especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, uh, put your email address on there and uh, we'll be glad to put you on the list for that. Uh, some things that are coming up today, we have uh, right after the worship service, we're going to be having a pie auction. And I think there's a bunch of pies over here that are ready for sale. And uh, so we'll be doing that immediately after the, um, after the worship service and then having our uh, covered dish uh, potluck lunch. And we have plenty. There's plenty of folks for uh, food for everyone. So please, please stay with us today and enjoy this time. It's a big time of, of fellowship and a big time of enjoyment of, of um, one another's company. And, of course, all the money that we raise for my pie auctions today will be... Uh, We'll go towards our ministry projects here at Community Baptist Church. We do a lot of things in our community, around the state, and around the world, and this will go to, to help that. Upward basketball will be and cheerleading will be up and running again this week. We'll be starting practice again tomorrow after taking this past week off for, for fall break. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, then you can come 
tomorrow night or Tuesday night or Thursday night or Saturday morning. We've got a lot of things going on, and we could use as much help as we can. Also put on your calendar uh, something coming up on October the 31st is our annual fall festival. That's Halloween night, and we go all out on Halloween and have a big party here and serve chili, and, and it's a lot, a lot of fun. So uh, put that on your calendar. It's coming up. I'll be here before you know it. And one other thing. On Wednesday, we will be having a, uh, our, our blood drive. We do that several times a year. We have a blood drive here at uh, Community Baptist Church. And if you would like to sign up and make an appointment, then you can see Jika, and she'll be glad to sign you up. Uh, but with that in mind, I would like to introduce uh, Addison Burke to you to come and make some presentations from the Red Cross. Addison? Good morning. My name is Addison Burke with the American Red Cross as a donor recruitment representative for your county. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Tim and Ms. Jika uh, for the opportunity to speak today about the importance of blood donations and the constant need of blood in your community and area hospitals. Uh, community Baptist has been a loyal sponsor to the American Red Cross for years, and we are grateful to have for, the, for your contributions for patients in need. Throughout the, year, throughout the years of your church's donations, you have generously given over 375 units of blood for those just like Miss Danielle. These two young ladies are inspirations in my life and the millions around the world. Through their willingness to share their story, it gives people like us a better understanding of what a single donation can do. Generally, most people are not informed about the importance of blood donations and the impact that it can have for those and possibly those closest to you. Every two seconds in America, someone is in need of blood transfusions and equating more than 44,000 by the end of the day. Some may know an individual that, has, that is in need of blood, but for those who you don't, one in three will require blood products during their lifetime. The frequency of transfusions are rapid. For instance, more than one million new people are diagnosed with cancer each year, some, many in need of blood, and some daily during chemotherapy. A single car accident can require up to 100 units of blood, while something as common as a liver transplant, along with others, as long as other standard procedures, can require 10 units. By a single donation, you can potentially save up to three lives. I'm here to encourage your participation in becoming part of the American Red Cross and Red Cross mission in efforts to provide the requested amount of blood needed for the area hospitals to meet patient needs. Donating blood is one of the most selfish, humane acts one can do for, an for another, but understanding that not all are able to donate their blood. For those who are not part of the eligible donor population, Due to the regular, regulated restraints, I'm here to inform you that you are just as important. Becoming a part of a volunteer committee, either within the church or community, is one of the many ways that can provide a fulfillment of contribution to the life-saving mission established by the American Red Cross. Volunteers can help in a variety of different ways, such as providing services to accommodate donors, the day of the driver simply to recruit others to fulfill your place. The commitment of donors and volunteers play a key role in supplying the adequate amounts of blood to, to hospitals. 
knowing that the need of blood is constant, this may impact your loved ones. For a positive, excuse me. I apologize. I'm a little nervous. All right. (laughs) Knowing the constant need of blood can impact your loved ones and the community in which you live towards a positive result. One of the most common responses from the public for not donating is they were simply not asked. With this opportunity, I'm asking you, will you donate your specific services? Once again, the blood drive is Wednesday, and we'll be giving gallon pens to all, for all those continued donors and American Red Cross for all presenting donors. Once again, thank you for your time and attention to this urgent need. Hope to see you Wednesday and look forward to our continued partnership. Thank you again. Thank you, Addison. Um, you have your marching orders. Uh, we'll be here Wednesday taking blood. And so if you, if you can give, we invite you to come and, and be a part of this important uh, ministry to this community and to the world. Let's stand and greet each other in the name of God and uh, share the love of Christ with one another for just a moment. Hey, girl. Thank you so much. As you're returning to your seats, we'd like to invite our children to come forward for our children's moment. Come on up, children. Miss Sue Allen will be up here to uh, lead our children's moment. So come on down, children. All right. Come on down. jacket some mornings now because it's cool outside? Is it getting, no? You haven't noticed it getting cooler? Have any of you been to the corn mazes yet? No. Has anybody got a pumpkin? Ah, there are some pumpkins out there, right? That's because it's fall and I'm going to read you a story today called the Pumpkin Patch Parable. Do you know what a parable is? A parable is a story that kind of explains to us what God has told to us in the Bible. And this is a story about a farmer and his pumpkin patch. And as I read the story, I'm going to read verses from the Bible that kind of help you understand 
what the story it connects the story to the Bible. Oh, let's see. See that big red barn and those rolling green fields? That's where the farmer lives, way out in the country. It's so far out, the streets don't even have stop signs. Must be way out there, huh? The farmer grows lots of different things in those fields. He grows tall green corn and big red tomatoes, big yellow squash, and little green peas. People eat that stuff for dinner. And in John, in the Bible, it says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. That's telling us that God is the gardener, that he takes care of us. The best vegetables the farmer grows are pumpkins. They start out as flat oval seeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted good seed in his field. One hot June day, soon after school let out, the farmer planted pumpkin seeds, just like he did every summer. The seeds disappeared into the ground in nice neat rows and grew there in the dark through the 4th of July. And in Luke, the Bible tells us this is what the story means. The seed is God's teaching. So the Bible is God's teaching. And God plants those seeds for all of us. Early one morning, a tiny green shoot quietly poked its way up out of the soil. Soon, a long green vine stretched across the ground. From that vine, little buds sprouted into wide green leaves. The leaves spread out flat to catch the August sun. Someday, those little green buds would turn into big orange pumpkins. But not yet. The patient farmer waited and waited. And in Second Peter, God tells us in the Bible, God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to change his heart and life. The pumpkin began to grow. How different they looked. Some were tall and lean. Some were short and round. Some had lumps and bumps. All of them were pumpkins, though. Do we all look alike? No, we don't, do we? My hand made all things, God tells us. All things are here because I made them, says the Lord. He made all of us and we're all different, just like the pumpkins are all different. October came at last. The sky was bright blue and the air was cooler. Every night it got dark earlier than it did the night before. It was time for the farmer to harvest the pumpkin crop. The farmer's many workers brought lots of ripe pumpkins in from the fields. Which one would he choose first? In John, God tells us, open your eyes. Look at the fields that are ready for harvesting soon. The farmer picked one large pumpkin, being very, very careful not to let it slip through his hand. Pumpkins are tough on the outside, but they break into smithereens if you drop them. He washed off all the dirt holding on tight. And in Acts, the Bible tells us, get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. 
Next came the messy part. Pumpkins are full of dozens of seeds and lots of slimy pulp. The farmer had a special plan for, this, for his chosen pumpkins, so the seeds and the slime had to go. And in Psalms it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And that's what the farmer's going to do with the pumpkins. He slowly slid a large knife right into the center of the pumpkin. The pumpkin didn't make a sound because vegetables don't talk. If they did talk, the pumpkin might have said, ouch. In Hebrews, it says, God's word is alive and working. It's sharper than a sword sharpened on both sides. It cuts all the way into us. And God's word judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. Gently, the farmer cut around the hole in the top of the pumpkin and pulled on the stem. Squishy, stringy pulp waited on the, for him on the inside. Yuck. You ever felt the inside of a pumpkin? Yeah. Kind of yucky feeling, isn't it? But in Jeremiah, it says, I am the Lord and I can look into a person's heart. The farmer pulled out all that slimy pulp and wrapped it up in an old newspaper. Off to the compost pile it went, never to be seen again. In Psalms, God tells us, He has taken our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. Then something really exciting happened. The pumpkin got a new face. In 2 Corinthians it says, We all show the Lord's glory and we are being changed to be like Him. The farmer carved a triangle for each eye. Pumpkins have eyes that don't blink or turn away. They see everything. In Matthew, it says, the eye is the light for the body. If your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. He neatly carved a little square for the nose and a big, wide smile. Proverbs says, happiness makes a person smile. You smile when you're happy, don't you? Sure. What happened next was wonderful. The farmer put a small white candle down inside the pumpkin and touched the wick with a flame. How that pumpkin glowed. God once said, let the light shine out of the darkness. And this is the same God who made his light shine in our hearts. As the sky grew darker, the pumpkin on the porch was shining brighter than ever. When people saw the smiling pumpkin, they smiled back. In the same way, you should be a light for other people. Live so they will see the good things you do. Live so that they will praise your Father in heaven. As the neighbors knew that at all the neighbors knew that once again the farmer had turned a simple pumpkin into a simply glorious sight. In the same way, God the Father offers his children the chance to be made new, full of joy, full of light, shining like stars in a dark world. And that's what he wants you to be. If anyone belongs to Christ, when he is made new, old things have gone, everything is made new. So I want you to have a bright light in you to shine for Christ, just like this pumpkin did. Thank you, boys and girls.
Please join me in our responsive reading, uh, printed in your worship folder and uh, projected on the screen. O God, you are as young as an infant child, yet ageless as the oceans, mountains, and stars. Two thousand years have not diminished your presence. The intensity of your face shines brighter still for those who recognize your presence. We long to see the Word made flesh, for we are a mixture of fragile hope and aging bodies. Amen. Please join with me in reading of the scripture this morning from Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the twelfth through the sixteenth verse. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who, in every respect, has been tested as we are. Yet without sin, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God bless the reading of this word. Amen.
Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we humbly come as your faithful disciples and ask you to bless these tithes and offerings. Guide us to use them to further your kingdom. And teach us, Lord, as we go, to follow you with every ounce of our being. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
that remind you of church camp? Well, we never sang it like that in church camp, did we? Thank you so much. Several years ago, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks did a comedy routine called The 2,000-Year-Old Man. And in the skit, Reiner is interviewing Brooks, who is playing the part of the old man. And at one point, Reiner asked him, did you always believe in the Lord? And Brooks replied, no. We had a guy in our village named Phil, and for a while we worshipped Phil. Well, Reiner was surprised by this. You, you worshipped a guy named Phil, he said? Why did you do that? And Brooks said, well, it's because he was big and he was mean and he could break you in two with his bare hands. And so Reiner asked, did you have prayers to Phil? And Brooks said, oh, yes, we did. Would you like to hear one? And he said, yeah. And he said, here's what we prayed. Oh, Phil, please don't be mean or hurt us or break, in, break us in two with your bare hands. And then Reiner said, so when did you start believing in the Lord, worshiping the Lord? And Brooks replied, well, one day a big thunderstorm came up and a lightning bolt hit Phil. So we gathered around and when we saw that Phil was dead, we said to one another, something's bigger than Phil. Well, yes, there is something bigger than Phil. In fact, there is someone bigger than the totality of our entire universe, and that, of course, is our Lord. Daniel Benedict tells about a group of college students who were having a discussion about the nature of God, and some of the students did not believe in God, and, but most had a belief of some kind. One young woman said, I believe that God's like a big teddy bear who gives me a hug when I need it. And to which one young man replied, no teddy bear God for me. God is the chief justice of some kind of universal supreme court who's going to nail me to the wall when I show up for judgment. The discussion raged on for a while and, and finally someone offered up this idea. God is whatever we think God is. One person's idea of God is as good as another person's idea. We shouldn't judge other people's religious views. Well, this opinion seemed to gain some traction. But then Benedict, who had mostly been silent up to this point, asked the question, well, what about son of Sam's idea of God? He said God told him to kill people. Is his idea of God okay? So the group decided to modify their opinion a bit. And they thought, well, people can have any idea of God that they want as long as they don't hurt other people. That sounded like the, the most reasonable way to, to most of the students. Nobody gets hurt and everybody has their own God. Now, these young people were genuinely searching for a way to understand God. And many of us may not be altogether comfortable with the idea that God is whatever people think God is. For you see, as Christians, we believe that God has revealed God's self to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so God is neither a teddy bear waiting to give us a hug or a Supreme Court justice who's waiting to nail us to a wall when we show up for judgment. No. If you want to know what God is like, I'll tell you what God is like. 
God is like Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the nature of God to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I can say emphatically that we believe that God is like Jesus. The writer of Hebrews spells out our understanding of God in our lesson for today. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in, time, in our time of need. I want you to notice, first of all, how we are to come to God's throne. We are to approach God's throne with confidence. So the first thing that we learn about God from this passage of Scripture is that God is approachable. And this is important. And this is a, a huge step forward from how most of the Old Testament writers viewed God. For you see, in the Old Testament, God was seen to be so holy that to even approach God was to risk life and limb. When the children of Israel approached Mount Sinai, God commanded that only Moses could come up onto the mountain and, and to approach the mountain to enter into God's presence. No one else could even come near the mountain lest they die. Later on, the Ark of the Covenant represented um, the presence of God. And if you'll remember in the book of Numbers, when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, numerous people, including some who merely looked at the ark, were killed by its power. And in the same way, even some of the priests who served in the temple were warned that looking at the ark would result in their immediate death. In First Chronicles 13, we read about the time when David and his soldiers moved the ark of the covenant from Abinadab's house. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kidron, one of the soldiers reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen that was carrying it had stumbled and he was struck dead simply because he put his hand on the ark. So you see, in the Old Testament, the idea that God was unapproachable, that was the norm. No one was to come into the presence of God and live. But this is not the way it is in the New Testament. For you see, our high priest, Jesus Christ, has already interceded in our behalf. And because of that, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, as we're told here in Hebrews, without fear. He has made us sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so we approach the Lord in the same way that we approach our earthly parents. Now let me ask you something. You don't approach your parents with fear and trembling, do you? Do you? Well, maybe some of you do. I don't know. 
young people. Yeah, I see some of the young people in the back raising their hand. <laughs> All right, guys, you, you guys in the back there. You don't approach your, your parents with fear and trembling. Mean, you don't come crawling on your hands and knees and with your face buried in the carpet and, and say something like, Oh, exalted and majestic Father, please do me the honor of granting your humble servant, worm of the dust that I am, the honor of borrowing the car tonight. They should. You don't approach your dad like that, do you? Some of us may have grown up with a very strict father. I, I like the way one older comedian describes the changes in modern family life. He said that the trouble with kids today is that they're not disciplined enough. When we were kids, we were disciplined harshly. My father was very strict. But then came along the electric razor, and that took the razor strop away. And then furnaces came along, and that took out the woodshed, and along came taxes and the worries of that, and away went my dad's hair, and with that, the old hairbrush disappeared. And that's why kids today are running so wild. The old man's run out of weapons. (laughs) And I know that some of you have had parents who were harsh in their discipline. But thankfully for most of us, the image of a father is an image of, of kindness and accessibility. And that's the image that the writer of Hebrews wants us to have of God. Jesus called God Abba. And He tells us to call God Abba as well. And that word Abba is a very intimate term akin to our word daddy. And that's the first reason that the writer of Hebrews tells us that we should approach the throne of God with confidence. It's because Jesus has shown us that God's nature is a nature of love and God is approachable. But why should we come to the throne of grace in the first place? Well, the writer tells us that we should approach the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to to help us in our time of need. That's a word of comfort, isn't it? It really is. You know, life's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it can be downright cruel. And and so where do we turn at at a time when life seems to be crushing in around us? Here it is. We turn to God. We approach the throne of grace. And that's the second thing that we learn about God from this passage of Scripture. God is merciful. God understands our situation. And God cares. Several years ago, Pastor Bob Davis announced his retirement. And his congregation was shocked. Their eyes filled with tears as he told them that he had early onset Alzheimer's and he would have to resign at the age of 52. Listen to what he said to his congregation that day. He said, as a Christian, I belong completely to Christ. My life is not mine, it's Christ's. 
Today my ministry draws to an end, and I can say with Paul, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And now I stand at the finish line in victory because God has set the distance that I was to run. Then he said, pray for my wife, Betty, as, as I turn guardianship over to her. I will not suffer nearly as much as she will. Pray that I will in no way inadvertently disgrace the Lord or this church or any of the people that I love. And finally, when I get to that point where my, life, where my mind is gone, pray that the Lord will take me quickly. The glory of being with Christ makes me gasp with joy. And when I ask about what about miracles, Bob said, I'm like Paul whose thorn in the flesh God did not remove. And I do not, respect, I do not expect God will remove my Alzheimer's thorn. But I have made up my mind to find joy in my weakness because that means a deeper experience of the presence of Christ. Wow. What a testimony of faith. Why do we come to the throne of grace? Usually it is so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know how many times in in my ministry I have had people suffering through trials in their lives say something like, I don't know how I could have done this without the strength of God. That's what Christ teaches us about God's character. God is approachable. God cares about us in our time of need. But there's one more thing that we need to remember today. And that is that we have access to that throne of grace only because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Folks, we did not receive God's grace because of any merit on our part. We received that grace because of what Christ did for us. He became the great high priest who made the offering of himself so that we may become the children of God and approach God's throne with confidence. Henri Barbousse once wrote a little novel titled La Fleur, or The Flower. And in this novel, there were two soldiers. One was a man of sterling character. But his friend, whose name is Dominique, has made many mistakes in his life. And in one part of this book, the soldier with the unblemished record has, has been wounded and is, is lying dying on the battlefield. And so he turns to Dominique and he says, it can't be long now. And he said, listen to me. You have lived a bad life. There are many convictions against you, but there are no convictions against me. There is nothing on my name, so I want you to take my name. Take it. I give it to you. Straight off, you have no more convictions. Take my name and give me yours so that I can carry all your past mistakes away with me. Folks, that soldier truly cared for his friend, didn't he? So much so that 
that they would exchange names and he would bear his friend's misdeeds forever. And I wonder, what if we had a friend like that? What if we had a friend who would take all of our mistakes upon himself? Well, guess what? This Scripture says to us that that is exactly what Christ has done. He has given us His good name. And He has taken our name, which is tarnished by sin, upon Himself. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I could only be 18 again and know, and know what I know now? Have you ever thought that? Who has it if you're above 18? (laughs) If I could only live my life over again, I would do a much better job the second time around. We've probably all said something like this at some time in our lives, but unfortunately, that's a luxury that we don't have. You only have one shot at life. And time, time marches on. And we can't undo the past. But you know what we can do? We can put the past behind us. And we can do something about the present. And we can work towards a better future. Now some of us here may be carrying a great deal of baggage from our past. And if we could just forget about that, just put that behind us, put it in our past with all of its heartaches, with all of its disappointments, with all of those mistakes and errors and stupid decisions that we made, if we could just somehow lay that burden down, then the future would hold a lot more promise for us. Well, here's the good news. Jesus offers us that opportunity. Isaiah tells us that He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. There's a lake in North Carolina that on the edge of that lake there's a large cross placed there so that its full image can reflect into the water. And at night, a spotlight floods it with with light so that the reflection is even more brilliant against the darkness. Well, one night a youth leader took a group of kids down to the edge of the water and had them stand behind the cross so that the light was shining towards them and the lake was stretched out in front of them. And then finally, the leader asked them to look up at the cross and tell the group what they saw. Well, wanting to sound scholarly and devout, they would blurt out things like forgiveness, salvation, sacrifice. But the counselor wanted them to see more. He said, what you really should see when you look up at that cross is God on the other side of the cross looking back at you. You see, whenever God is is looking at us, He is looking at us through the cross of His Son, Jesus. His victory over our sin. His victory over our chaos. That's what God sees. And that's exactly how God looks at us. Through the prism 
of the cross of Jesus Christ. And because of that cross, God sees us as if we were without blemish. A father says to his child, how much do I love you? And he opens his arms as wide as he can and says, I love you this much. And that's what we ought to see when we look at the cross of Jesus. God loves us this much. Do you want to know what God is really like? God is like Jesus. And Jesus is all about love and grace. And so because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we come to God as a forgiven child comes to a loving parent. What a wonderful image of the love of God. Would you come to your Heavenly Father today and receive His grace and His mercy in your time of need? Amen. We're going to sing number 450, I Need Thee Every Hour. There may be someone here today who needs to make a commitment to Christ. There may be someone here today who feels far away from God. And something that has happened uh, has prompted the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart today. And you've come to the realization that you need to put all that stuff behind you that is messing up your life. You need to drop your baggage at the door and never pick it up again. Because Jesus is here to say that all that is forgiven and forgotten. But what you can do is start new today. If you've never made a commitment to Christ, we invite you to do that today. Or maybe you have made a commitment to Christ and it's, it's time to renew that commitment. Or maybe you're, look, you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to unite with our church today. Or maybe you just need some prayer. I don't mean to diminish that by saying you just need some prayer. Maybe you need some prayer. Come and pray. If God's dealing in your heart in any way today, we invite you to come as we sing together. Number 450, I need thee every hour. Would you come?
Thank you for your presence with us today and God's spirit that is here as well. There's one thing that we need to take care of, and that is that Colin Vaughn has uh, uh, indicated that he would like to become a member of our church. And so he has requested that. He's filled out the little form here and requested uh, that we transfer his membership from a sister church by, uh, by requesting his letter. Come on down. He's coming. <laughs> Come on down, Colin. Um, Colin has been around here for, for a while now, and uh, he, is, he, is, he has accepted Christ as his Savior and been baptized already, and so he's coming by transferring his member to our church, and uh, he's already a part of our, of our family here, and so we just welcome him here, and I hope that you'll join me in welcoming him to the, the family of Community Baptist Church by raising your hand and saying amen. 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 Colin, you, know, you probably know the, the routine now here, don't you? Yeah, you know what I'm about to say? He doesn't remember. <laughs> I want to tell you that every member of this church is a minister. And you know what that means? That means you're a minister. Every one of us. Because that's who we are. We are ministers in the name of Christ. We are ministers to one another. That's what family does. And we're family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're ministers to the world out there. And so we're looking forward to the ministry that we have for you. And we're also looking forward to the ministry that you have to us and, and to this world. So I know you'll want to come and speak to Colin and uh, extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to him. Um, let's have our benediction, and then we'll just break for a few moments and proceed with our pie auction. And we'll take care of that as quickly as possible and, and, uh, and then go on with our, with our meal. Let us pray. You have come close to us in Christ. You have shown us your love, O God, your grace and your compassion. And as we go from here, we pray that you will give us your patience when people are indifferent. Give us your compassion when people are in need. And give us your love to reflect your grace and your forgiveness to the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.